This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. I thought we had good chances, but we just, uh, you know, when they were coming at us, we uh, we didn't do a good job defending. You know, messed up on the change there and uh, just gave them chances and they scored. So, yeah, uh, I, I didn't really think we set, set back. Maybe a couple shifts, but not the whole period. Maybe we played on our heels a little bit more. Um, you know, two-goal lead, uh, we, we got to keep pressing. And, you know, best defense is often, so... Uh, just got to keep forechecking and not play on their heels. They did what you have to do to get points in hockey games. They played the whole 60 minutes plus, and uh, we didn't. And then we left it again, left it on our goalie's shoulders to carry it home, and that's so unfair. And we uh, <laughs> obviously we didn't do it, and we didn't deserve to do it. All right, John Cooper, you just heard right there, and... The Lightning, interesting last couple of games. We're going to talk about it with you because my partner wasn't with us on Friday. Mm -hmm. Of course, we saw what happened on Saturday. A a little disappointing, I think, from the perspective of you've got to lead late in the third. And, you know, you're not able to, to take home both points. It's something Mish and I will... We'll get into here and obviously take your calls or your tweets, I should say, because I had a lot of people tweeting over the weekend about what they saw in the Toronto game. And we'll make sure we break it down. It's one hour of just some hockey talk with you guys. Hope the weekend went well. Dave Michigan, of course, on the other side here. I'm Greg Linelli, Austin Wright, uh, our broadcast assistant running things along with Steve Versnick. And, uh, you know, partner, it's, it's interesting because it's early. I think I don't know if I have to keep saying that because it almost seems like you're softening the blow whenever there's a loss. It's early. They've got to figure some things out. And I, I think that should go without saying when you're evaluating a team, first 10, 15, maybe even 20 games of the season. But the game against Toronto from a big picture, what I take from it was the Lightning had a lead late. Really good teams find a way to hold that off and, and earn two points, whether that ends up being, you know, in regular regulation or, you know, in the OT. And um, there are some other things that happened in that game that we can dissect. But that that's kind of the, the big overview in terms of, okay, what actually happened and what are your first thoughts of that game against the Maple Leafs? I think for me, it was, man, you had a lead late and and you lost it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, Greg, you were right. That up two with under 10 minutes to go in regulation should end in a win. It should end in a regulation win. It's not always going to happen. But it was frustrating that it happened against a divisional opponent and one that had done it to you last spring in the playoffs. Of the three games in that series that were played at Amelie Arena, all three went to overtime, and the Maple Leafs won all three. And in two of those three, the Lightning had a third-period lead and couldn't protect it, couldn't get it across the finish line. In one of those games, they had a three-goal lead, and the Leafs rallied to force overtime. This was a two-goal lead, and they couldn't win the game in regulation. That is very frustrating. I think that, should I use the word easy? The easy way to look at this is 
the Lightning were in control up three to one with ten minutes left, and they took their foot off the gas, and the Leafs rallied and got the game tied. I think that would be kind of the easy way of looking at it, right? I don't think that describes this game at all, though. The Maple Leafs were, for the first and third periods, constantly threatening. I mean, that was as good a performance from a goaltender who gives up four goals as you're going to see. I mean, yeah, there may be some spectacular goaltending performances in games in which goalie loses, maybe gives up more than four, but that was right up there. Because if not for Jonas Johansson, the Maple Leafs could have scored 10 goals. Easily 10 goals. For Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner to come out of that game without a point did not have anything particularly to do with how the Lightning defended them. It had to do with Johansson coming up with the goods time and time again. And Matthews was a little unlucky in that he hit the post on the first shift of the game. They also didn't credit him with a post hit in overtime, and I'm I'm like 99 percent certain he did which wouldn't have counted as one of the the five overtime shots the Maple Leafs had but he was dangerous so this was not a situation where we look at it Greg and say the Lightning did everything right until the last 10 minutes up three to one d'ing up and the Leafs rallied the Leafs took advantage of a couple of mistakes the Lightning made both off the rush. One was born from a coverage mistake. The other was born from a turnover slash line change. And they cashed in, but they could have scored so many more goals than what they scored. This was this was a very tough defensive night for the Lightning. Now, we might say, well, they've had a lot of defensive nights that have been tough early this year. To varying degrees, yeah. I mean, they've had a couple of games where, where they've defended well, even though they've had some some goals go in on them. I would count the Nashville game and the Vancouver game as, as games like that where they made some isolated mistakes and, and it just turned out the pucks ended up going into their net. But as a whole, like, they did limit the opposition chances. That did not happen on Saturday against the Maple Leafs. So why? Why did it happen? Well, on the, the first point is the Maple Leafs have – some extremely talented offensive players. Some of the very best skilled players in the entire league. And they were going. Matthews was going. You can make the argument, Greg, that he was the best player on the ice Saturday. And he came out of that game with no points. Somehow. If he plays like that, if he plays like that in 20 games, he's getting points in 19 of them. Like, it was just one of those nights for him where... Goalie made he the was save, dynamic. he hit the post, yeah, like he missed the net. He was all over the ice. He played a hungry game. And the Lightning really didn't have an answer for for Matthews and Marner, particularly when they put Nylander on that line too, which happened in the second and then into the third. So I disagree with the notion that the game turned in the last 10 minutes of the third period. The Leafs rallied in the last 10 minutes of the third period because they were able to cash in on a couple of mistakes. They made some plays. Nyes had a great shot on the 3-2 goal. And Brian Engblom mentioned this in in the postgame on the last call. Like Even the tying goal was a two-on-one, but the puck's kind of in his skates. He's running out of real estate. He made a really nice shot there, roofing it. But on the other side of the coin, and this is something that 
that we touched on really briefly at the start of the year about Toronto. Was Toronto going to be the same structured defensive team that we saw in the regular season last year? And I'm, I'm saying that understanding where they were coming from, which is to say they were very much run and gun before that, and they tried to get more structured last year and they succeeded. Would they be able to basically do that again for another regular season? And from what I saw on Saturday, the answer is no, or at least they, they chose not to. The Maple Leafs are back to playing run and gun. And why do I say that? They were the more dominant team because they dictated play more than the Lightning did. But goodness, did they give up chances. Like, the Lightning could have scored eight, nine goals themselves. They scored three on on Samsonov. He was not good on Saturday. They brought in Joseph Wohl, which is how you now say his name. Dave Randorf and I learned that before the game. I'm glad we did because he came in to a relief appearance, he was fantastic. Look at the saves that Wool made. How about that save he made on Kucherov with 20 seconds left? How would that have tasted for Heck the Maple yeah. Leafs? Heck yeah. Like, they basically carry play for much of the game. They're snake-bitten, snake-bitten, snake-bitten. They finally pop it a couple of goals to get the game tied to three. Matthews has a great-A chance with a minute to go in the slot. Johansson makes the save, and then they give up three unanswered open-look chances to Kucherov right in front of their net. And the he he kind of muffed on the shot. I mean, it kind of bounced off his stick in the first one, and then the third one he was just trying to hurry it back in front. Those were not difficult saves for Wool, but the middle one, my goodness, what a save that was. That would have been the winning goal with 18, 19 seconds left. Yeah. So... If there are Leaf fans out there who are going to talk to me about how they are like poised to win the cup this year, I think that in order to win the cup, unless I'm way off base here, the Leafs or any other team, they are not going to be able to play run and gun. That was what Sheldon Keefe tried to get them to understand last year. They did it during the regular season. I'm not certain that they did it that much in the playoffs. This year, it looks like the old Leafs, the run-and-gun Leafs, and they have given up at least three goals in every game that they have played. So when you have that, just by nature, you are going to have a high-chance game. The problem for the Lightning was they gave up more chances than they themselves generated, and therefore they had to rely on their goaltender to repeatedly make big saves, which he did. But what what did Coop say? Something about you go to the well... Too often, or you give them enough chances, eventually the the pucks are going to go in. So, look, this isn't a Leaf show. This is a Lightning show. What do the Lightning need to do to get better defensively? Here in Coop, a lot of it was effort. He felt that they didn't play as hard as the Leafs did. And and they had some, some breakdowns as a result of that. He's the head coach. I will defer to him. He knows his team. Certainly, that's part of it. Part of it, too, is... They are learning this new system, and that is going to take time. And when you take on a a high, high high-skilled team that is an aggressive team that's looking to score, that can exacerbate the situation. I think we saw a little bit of that the other night. And the other part is whether this is tied to, quote-unquote, effort or not, like the Lightning shot themselves in the foot with – Tough plays, like the overtime goal. Brandon Hagel went right off the ice. He knew. He he had his fingerprints, some more 
visibly than other, Greg, on the last three Toronto goals. The first one, not so much. I mean, he was back-checking hard on Domi, and Domi got that puck across. That was more the other guys in the middle of the ice. But he lost the puck in the neutral zone on the 3-3 goal when the Lightning were trying to change. And then in overtime, you know, he tries an ambitious pass that gets intercepted and leads to a 2-on-1 the other way. So, look, those are things the Lightning can control, and they didn't. The Leafs are good enough. They were pressing enough. The Lightning didn't need to feed their attack, and they did. But I think a lot of that is correctable. And in in some of the games, we've seen them have massive problems with it. In other games, they've had far fewer problems. So that's kind of my takeaway from the game. It was was a run-and-gun game. And I'm sorry. I don't know if you felt this way, Greg. When I saw Matthews come over the boards, I tensed up. Like I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to be a tough shift. He was he was that good. He was dynamite. On Saturday. Dynamite. Yeah. Dangling. And you know what sticks out to me just in general? When you're talking about the best of the best, but then you have somebody who is better than everybody else on the ice and you can And having it. a good game. Yeah. Also. I mean that to me that always amazes me. That speaks to true greatness. Because we Austin should Matthews, we should touch on Kucherov too, finish yeah, your thought. But Kucherov had a great game too. Go ahead. No, it was it was more of just I took from that game, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. We talked about, you know, disappointing to blow the lead they did late in the game. I, I don't want to say you wasted a tremendous goaltender performance from Johansson, but I, I felt like you could. Well, they got a point. They did. they did. I mean, they didn't completely waste it. They did. But you wanted to. And I thought Austin Matthews was, I don't want to say by far the best player on the ice, but a eh, pretty good margin. Pretty good margin. Yeah. He and Kucherov, who arguably are the two best players on their respective teams. Kucherov had it going. The The problem for the Lightning was they just didn't have the puck as much. But when they had the puck, Kucherov was giving the Leafs a lot of trouble in a different way than Matthews. They're not identical players. But like Phil said, he thought that was Kucherov's best game of the year. Yeah. He had two and, goals and an assist. Great pass to Barry Boulay. Ugh. And, and look, Boulay, Kucherov had, had the game on his stick in the last yeah. 20 seconds, like we he were did. talking about. He did. And it was it was good to see Barry Boulay score. Yes. I mean, that's, to me, always, you want to play with top six players, fine. Do you want to make a case that's where he needs to be at the NHL level compared to the bottom six? Sure, that's fine. But whether it's a small sample size or a, a bigger sample size, you need to produce and put up numbers if you're going to be put in that position. And it was nice to see him be rewarded for that mm-hmm. goal. And you're right, Kucherov had an opportunity there, you know, late in the game. Just couldn't lift it. He Just settled in. Barry Boulay looks like he is settled in That's with true. Point and Kucherov. Yeah. For sure. I think that'll that'll be something to keep the eye on moving forward. But, you know, you mentioned the Maple Leafs and, you know, the Lightning didn't have a lot of sustained pressure consistently. And, you know, uh, one of the main questions, I think, partner, that a lot of the audience had uh, on my Twitter feed or maybe just breaking down the Lightning in general on Twitter is, why is that? What was Toronto doing that was causing them or allowing them to have that sustained pressure compared to the Lightning and and what we saw from them? Well, I think... And, and again, this wasn't the case for the full 60, so to speak, but for most of the 60, 
I think the Leafs manage the puck pretty well. So where the Leafs struggled defensively was in coverage. And and again, I'm just going back on memory. There may have been instances when they did turn the puck over, and I'm not really remembering that there were a lot of those. Maybe there were. But what I saw was when the Lightning actually had the puck, the Maple Leafs did not defend as as tightly as probably they would like. And again, we're in the first couple of weeks of the regular season, so they don't need to be perfect yet. But it's about personality, right? It's about how are you going to choose to play? And to me, it looked like the Leafs were choosing to prioritize offense over defense in that game. The Lightning do not get a free pass, though, either. I mean, I don't know that the Lightning were prioritizing offense over defense, although on, on the overtime goal, that was a pass that was, let's try and win the game here, and it ended up costing them the game. Fair enough. I think the Lightning's problems were more based on all kinds of defensive issues, whether they were turning pucks over or having coverage issues. Like, they had their their fair share of coverage issues, too, But the Leafs had something to do with that. Like the Leafs, a lot of times were moving up the ice so fluidly that it almost forced the Lightning to back in. And I think that that opened up some time and space for their high skill guys who are going to just carve you up when you give them time and space. So, I mean, you asked... Kind of what, what was your question? Was it like why why did the Lightning not have the puck more? I yeah, think it was you know, because, maybe sustained pressure. Yeah, I think Toronto didn't feed their attack as much as the other way around, and that's a credit to the Leafs. Like when they had the puck, they were very, very good. I don't know if they, they've played quite that way in every game this year, but they were a handful, and they had the puck a lot as a result. Even when they shot pucks, and they are a high-shot volume team, it seemed like the rebounds were all coming to their players. Like, sometimes you shoot the puck and there's a rebound, it goes to the other team, right? That just didn't happen very often. For sure. And it was mostly in the first and third period. So let me just talk about the second period for a second. The second period was the Lightning's best defensive period. The Leafs generated chances, but they generated fewer chances than they did in the first and the third. Why? Well, one reason why, the Lightning had overlapping power plays, which allowed them to have the puck a fair amount. Those were big, though. Like, they could have extended their lead. And while when you're facing Toronto, I would say no lead is safe, you know, 4-1 or 5-1 does look different than 3-1. But they had the puck a fair amount. They gave up a couple of shorthanded looks. The Leafs were, were sending out Marner and Matthews to try and score shorthanded during that penalty kill. And I thought that the Lightning did a better job of leveling the ice. So they weren't feeding Toronto's attack as much. They had more puck possessions reflected in the numbers. The shots and the attempts were fairly close. In the first and third, however, the shots especially and the attempts were not close. What did the Leafs have? 17 shots in the first and they had 20-2-0 in the third. Look, you give up 20 shots even understanding some are going to be kind of the long-range, more routine shots. You're playing with fire. You're going to give up a goal or two, and that's exactly what happened. It's a good point. 
It's a good point. And, you know, look, we always talk about when the Lightning maybe dominate a game partner, the other team is going to have some times where they push. And that is true. Uh, and I think in this game, you can make the, the same argument that the Lightning had some spurts where they mm -hmm. pushed and looked good. But I think collectively, uh, there are some things they can take away from that game. Feel good that they got a point. Feel good that maybe their top guys, specifically Kucherov, had some really sweet moments. But I think John Cooper is going to look at it and say, way too many shots, way too many high danger chances. Our goaltender has been fantastic. And Dave, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like the theme for the Tampa Bay Lightning so far this year, and it's mostly been Johansson in the pre in the regular season, goaltending's held up. It's held yeah, up. so that's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it, Greg? Because on the one hand, you might say, well, look, the goaltending has held up, which it has, like in Vasilevsky's absence. But the Lightning, it would have been a simpler excuse to say the Lightning have played pretty well, but they're 2-2-2 two, two, and two because Vasilevsky's not in the net. And when he comes back things are just going to click into place. I don't think it would have mattered if it was Johansson, Vasilevsky, Tompkins, pick your goaltender, put any goaltender in there. The goaltender was not responsible for the opposition to get 50-plus shots and however many scoring chances. That needs to get better. Yeah. And look, they have an Does opponent coming in on Tuesday. Now, the Hurricanes seem to have some injuries. I saw Pesci and Ajo were not playing in the last game, they opened their season with a win at home over Ottawa, and they've been on the road ever since. And it's not been an easy road trip. They're about 500 on the road trip. They've lost some games on this road trip, and they just lost in Colorado, I think, 6-4. But whether Ajo is in or not, whether Pesci is in or not, we know Carolina well enough. Carolina plays a similar type of style, very aggressive. They're puck hounds. The Lightning are going to have to manage the puck tomorrow. Better than they did, certainly, on Saturday. Yep. Would agree with that 100% at Bolts Radio. You want to get to some questions? Yeah. Because I'm just kind of scrolling through. Yeah, I'm sure we have quite a few. We have a lot. Al, as you can imagine. And, and you know what? Before you get to it. those, because yeah. I was not on Friday's show, and I just don't want to talk exclusively about Saturday's game. Lightning had a good game against Vancouver. They really did. They did. Like, they had they had the, the tough start to the second, and again, turnovers. So they have not had a turnover-free game so far this year where the turnovers, you're never going to have a turnover-free game but a turnover-free game that resulted in something bad happening, right? That was a game in which two turnovers led to two goals against. But I liked the Lightning's game when they had it rolling. They were really in control. And when Vancouver got momentum, particularly with those two early second-period goals, the Lightning found a way to reverse momentum. And it was AC Mott. I mean, there were other things that happened. Tanner Janot had a fight. Lightning got through a pretty important penalty kill when it was still 2-1 Canucks. But that AC Mont goal really fueled the Lightning's attack. And they revved their engine. And the Canucks had a really hard time dealing with them after that. And before somebody says, well, it was Vancouver. You know, Vancouver went in and, and handed a Florida defeat. Vancouver has two wins over Edmonton. So it's a little early to start making assessments about, like, who you beat. <laughs> like, you're never going to apologize for two points. That was a solid victory for the Lightning. 
And we'll see where Vancouver finishes at the end of the year, but it might be a victory against a pretty good team. That is correct. It could be. It could be. That's why, what did, what did Phil say? We've kind of hammered home this point. You can't make the playoffs early in the season. You certainly yeah. can lose out. You don't. And I, I think this has been more about the conversation when it comes to the goaltending until Vassy gets back, but it's been basically keep the head above water. Yeah. And, you know, look, by the time Vassy comes back to partner, assuming he's at his elite level, when he does, you want the team to, f- I mean, they're going to be two months into this. Mm-hmm. You want them to be clicking a little mm-hmm. bit more. Bob says, guys, uh, does 98 seem to be injured or just bad decisions? Seems like he's out of his groove this year a little bit. He's talking about Sergachev, of course. He's had some turnovers. I think he would like to clean those up. Was it the one Cooch goal against Toronto? Heck of a pass. Yeah. He's you doing know, some good things offensively. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you could make the argument collectively on the back end. The team is still trying to figure out that consistent play. Because I th- would you agree, partner, that they've probably had more, more dynamic moments offensively as a decor than defensively. You know, like Hemmings gotten off to a really good start. You mentioned yeah. Sergachev, I think, is is doing some things offensively. I still think they're trying to whatever cliche you want to use, whatever word. Find that groove, I think, is is something they need to do. Bob says this new system apparently allows the opposed the opposition to skate in towards the net. Before attacking or checking, almost reminds me of a basketball zone defense, hence Nylander open on the left side. Well, that is not the strategy. (laughs) I'm not sure that that has happened in every game. I think it happened in the Toronto game in part because the guys who are backing in have a healthy respect for who is coming at them. Right. When, When you're... What's the word I want to use? People people do it against Kucherov, too. Like, if you have a high-skill guy bearing down on you, your instinct is to back up and not let that player get around you. Yeah. Now, sometimes that's not the right play. Sometimes it is the right play if, if the other team has numbers. It's true. The Lightning did not have a great night without the puck i would i would put it that way and some of it was the backing in some of it was just zone coverage they they left guys open in front i mean how many point blank chances did the maple leafs have right in the middle of the ice sure we just um but i don't think that's that's the the strategy no no was it bob who had that i don't think that's the strategy no Whatever it is, they're still figuring it out, you know, and, and there could be some subtle changes to what they're doing, partner, getting used to playing with some new newer players in in the regular season, which I think is different than in the preseason, because I think the, the speed of the game is different. So you're adjusting to all of that. And so it's it's been a it's been a little bit of a process here. And again, hopefully your head is above water. And by the time Vassy comes back. You're in a spot where it's still pretty good in the standings, and you're you're a lot better in your play, whether it's structure, whether it's just individual performances. Who knows? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Anthony says, how this scenario keeps happening. Insane. Really sad that we wasted great performances from JJ and Cooch. I thought support through the neutral zone was better, and forecheck looked dangerous. But I don't understand why our D backing up so much at the blue line, basically to the net. ABB finally found some chemistry, but I don't think that first line can defend with him. I would still replace him. Bogo looked really good. Sergey needs to sit down after every backhand pass turnover in the D zone. Three times again? And a question mark. Boy, he got a lot into that. <laughs> it was a, a two-tweeter. <laughs> yeah, okay, it was two. It was a two-parter. So we talked about the D backing in. I think some of that had to do with the opposition. Look, Austin Matthews is steamrolling down the wing. What happened in the very first shift of the game? He was able to get around a guy, right? You don't think everyone on the bench saw that? Heck yeah. So some of it is born from a healthy respect for the opposition, even if it's not necessarily strategically always the best thing to do because you're giving high-skilled players time and space. So you are rolling the dice there when that happens. His point about Barry Boulay, I, I do think Barry Boulay is building chemistry with Point and Kucherov. They were on the ice for the first goal against last night or Saturday night, I should say, the Nylander goal that made a one nothing Toronto. I'm not sure if that was necessarily on them as much. That was a really good pass by Tavares, by the way. Like, he's in the middle of the ice, the line to converge on him, and he makes, like, a blind backhand pass. I think it was a backhand pass. He had guys around him. He maneuvered it back almost across the green to Nylander, who had a one-timer, and, and put it in. But look... What I think or what Greg thinks or what you think, Anthony, is far less important than what the coach thinks. And the coach did make some changes in how they ran the lines at practice today, which started at 11. So, I mean, we've seen the line combinations. And Barry Belay is still with Point and Kucherov. So... There's nothing about that line that is giving John Cooper pause and making him say, I want to switch this up. Now, interestingly, he did swap Radish for Perbix, essentially. So Perbix is, is paired with Sergachev at practice today, and Radish is paired with Dahan. The fan mentioned Bogosian. Dahan was taking the regular D rushes this morning. And then the other change, I'm curious to hear what you think about this, Greg, because you have been a huge fan, as have I, of Sorelli and Hagel. The change that was made in the in the top 12, the 12 forwards, Sorelli and Paul switched. So Paul is with Stamkos and Hagel, and Sorelli is with Janot and Merrilla, who, by the way, I thought he had his best game of the year on Saturday, Merrilla. The Leafs had some problems with him. He was strong in the puck. They couldn't get it off of his stick. He was sniffing around the net. I actually liked that line. I mean, I'm not quite sure how much puck possession they had relative to the other line when they were out there. But I think Paul, Janot, and Merrill have, have done well as a line a couple of games now that they've been together. But and you just Sorelli see was, them centering, get rewarded, that, Sorelli you know? was centering that line today. Yeah, for sure. I like Sorelli and Hagel. I, I like kind of that dynamic. I think there is some value there. Throw Stamkos with them, and I think, I don't know. The question, I think, with Paul and his line mates partner is they were effective. How much offense are you going to get? 
I thought they had looks, though. Looks I mean, are good, but you got to finish. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what this is going to be about. And Because we, wh- who is the one guy we've talked about a little bit? Well, probably a lot. I mean, a couple of guys that, that have another level to get to offensively this year. And that's going to be predicated on them converting. I mean, it's Paul, Janot, Sorelli. You know, I think those are three guys who are capable. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if... I don't know. We'll see if some of those line combinations, if they stick with them and how the results come from those uh, players being together. Jay says, a pitiful collapse on Saturday. Team has to be better defensively, especially in transition. If they want to do anything of note this season. I mean, I would agree. We, we've discussed that, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they do. They were not good in they transition do. on Saturday. And that's, it. like I said, uh, I don't know where you rank the Maple Leafs partner in that area of, like, transition offense or going they're from defense fast, to offense. And they were passing the puck really well. Yeah. They're, they're and in, some they're of it really was they moved the puck all the way up the ice, and some of it was the Lightning had the puck and turned it over, and they were able to, to accelerate on counters. But, like, look at the look at the Nye's goal that made it 3-2. to two. So... The Leafs got the puck. I mean, it wasn't like a clean turnover or anything like that that led directly to a chance against. But the the Leafs retrieved the puck in their own end. And Domi got a pass and skated up the wing. And Hagel is, is working his rear end off to stay with him. He's back checking. He's right with Domi. Domi enters the offensive zone and slides the puck to the middle of the ice. That's not Hagel's fault. Hagel is doing everything he can. Domi has nowhere to go. Like, Domi's not going to take that to the net. He really does the only thing he can do, which is, before he runs out of real estate, try and get it to the middle of the ice. Middle of the ice is completely open. The Lightning had guys above and below the puck. So where the puck was was completely open. And I would say that in transition, that was a coverage mistake. Somebody needed to be in that passing lane. Recognize where the danger is coming from. Nyes is a smart player. Like, he he found a little dead zone there, right? Between the players in front of him and between any players behind him. And he got it right on his stick, went into a prime area, and had a terrific finish. So tip your cap to him. And, you know, a really good pass from Domi. But how did that pass get through? That's a coverage mistake. The third goal was a little bit more of a confluence of bad timing and that Hagel's trying to get that puck in, but he got closed on and stripped just as the Lightning were changing D. And so now you're scrambling. But at the end of the day, like that puck can't get turned over there. Or maybe if you're the D, wait until the puck gets dumped in before you head to the bench for a change. Yeah, makes sense. So problems in transition can happen in a number of different ways, right? And and sometimes it's more bang-bang, sometimes it isn't. But I think the Lightning had some issues in a variety of ways on Saturday. Appreciate the the response there, guys. I know it's, it's frustrating, and I, I know they're... 
They're different partner in terms of ones in the Eastern Conference, ones in the Western Conference. I know maybe the expectations are different for both teams, and I'm talking about Vancouver and Toronto, but I think there is skill there on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, we can debate who has the upper hand. Lightning, uh, I guess if we're looking for positives, I mean, I, I think they held their own at times, and you earn three or four points in that little two-game stretch. So I, I, wanted, I do want to look for positives because I think every year when you are dealing with new personnel, new systems, and injuries, I do think you have to take that all into consideration. And were we hoping more of the same in the Toronto game as we saw from Vancouver? Probably. But understand, it's a different animal. It's a different mm-hmm. beast. I do think Toronto has some problems. And I'm wondering if you feel the same way, too. You know, we talk about coaches making a difference, if that makes sense. How much do they impact a game? You know, a lot of times, once the game begins, partner, uh, some would say the coach has very little impact. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think maybe the biggest impact and the most noticeable is line changes or changing up the personnel. John Cooper's probably one of the best in that. I think you could make an argument that was as much a coaching win, too, for Toronto, understanding they pulled the goaltender, and it paid off. Now, you could sit there and say, look, well, Greg, I mean, you know, the team had to be better. Toronto wasn't going to play that poorly, and maybe you can't fault... Simpson off on all of those goals. Fine. I'll take all of that into consideration, but with him and net, they were down. They made the switch. Maybe yeah. the focus was renewed and maybe a game where Dave, you could have seen the lightning scoring six. They held it down and they did enough to earn two points after making the change. I don't want to speak for Sheldon Keefe, but if you were to ask me my opinion, I think that was less about changing the momentum of the game and trying to wake his team up and more about goalie performance. Samsonov, the Bari Boulay goal, fine. The guy's open in front for a redirection. The two Kucherov goals, I think the Leafs wanted more from him. And it was three goals on four shots. Remember, Toronto was generating a fair amount early in the game. They had a goal. They were getting looks. Johansson was sharp early. So I don't think this was an issue of the team being flat. I mean, they were giving up looks, and but that happened throughout the game. The difference was, after the goalie switch, Wool stopped them all. So you're right. It did turn out to be a very good move by the coach. I do want to mention the first lightning goal, which was very interesting to me. So Braden Point does not yet have a goal this year. I believe he has seven assists, though, which... Look, statistically, that's not a bad start. It's plus minus. I'm sure he would like to be higher. I think he finished even the other night, in which case I think he came in minus five, so he's still minus five. But one thing that Point has has experienced is when the Lightning are on the power play and he's in that slot area, what they call the bumper, and the Lightning try and get him the puck, he has no room. Penalty killers are just swarming him. Because while the cross-ice pass to Stamkos or maybe a cross-ice pass back to Kucherov can lead to a dangerous look on a one-timer, the most dangerous spot on the ice on the Lightning power play is that spot where point is. And he has shown he can finish from there if he has time. So the penalty killers are taking his 
time and space away. They've also taken his time and space away five on five for much of the year, although I do think on Saturday, Point was using his speed to to create more. Look, that's another point. Like, were the Leafs perfect in transition? No. <laughs> you know, like, what was that one? I think it was in the third period. Point came flying down the right wing, and Wool had to make a terrific save on him. At that point, the game was still 3-1. to one. But on that power play goal that Kucherov scored, Point's normally right between the hash marks. Kucherov's at the right circle. What happened on that play, Point slanted more toward the circle where Kucherov was. So if you watch the replay, I think he's right almost like at the inner part of the circle. So he's not actually in the middle of the slot. He slanted kind of to the right side of the slot. Kucherov passed, so he's more available for a pass, too. It's easier to get him the puck because he's closer to Kucherov. Kucherov gives it the puck. Three Toronto penalty killers converge on point. What does he do? He bumped it right back to Kucherov, and now Kucherov has an open lane to the net to shoot. And he beat Samsonov on the stick side. So watching the replay, my feeling was Samsonov might have done a better job at trying to stop that shot. It's not like it was off the post and in or into the upper corner. It was like middle of the net. Inside that far post, but not off the post. I don't think Toronto was thrilled with the goalie's performance on that particular goal. But from the Lightning's perspective, the takeaway is, all right, if they are going to swarm point, use point almost as a decoy, give him the puck and then right back to Kucherov, the penalty killers are out of position. Everybody has video. Everybody. So what this might do is penalty killers will say, mm, if we converge on point, he might go back to Kucherov. It's, it's a less dangerous look because point is in the middle of the ice, but we know Kucherov can score from there. So maybe we can't converge on point as much. My long-winded point is about point. Let's see if this opens things up for him a little bit more on the power play. The lighting had the two in the second period. They weren't able to convert, and I didn't actually see them do that play again. It was more around the horn with Hedman and, and Stamkos, and then the five on three, and Sergachev was out for some of that too. But that was – you talk about coaching, and maybe it was even the players that decided to do it. Or maybe Jeff Halpern said, you know what, let's bump point more toward Kucherov, and, and maybe that'll open up the ice for Kucherov. Penalty killing is about decision-making. What are you going to want to take away? Because you're, you're able to put one fewer skater out on the ice. You have your goalie. So four skaters plus the goalie against five attackers. You cannot take away everything. It's impossible. So what are you going to emphasize? What are the dangerous looks that you really want to try and close off? But if you close off, like you plug up one hole, there is another hole somewhere. And it's up to the power play unit to try and find that. And if you can find it, then it's up to the goalie for the penalty killers to make the save. So let's see how the power play looks moving forward. But I, I was very curious to see that they did that. Adjustments, adjustments. That's what it's all about. Lucas says, fun stat I saw over the weekend. I love Lucas's tweets, by the way. They always come from your neighbor. Yeah, he is my neighbor. Yeah. 
Lucas, my neighbor. Teams giving up the most goals per game in order of worst. Carolina, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Edmonton, and Toronto. All playoff teams last year. Yeah. Are all those goalies to blame? Or is it safe to say it takes teams a while to button up and play total team defense? Well, look, Carolina has three goalies. They have Ranta, they have Anderson, and they have Kachetkov, who was sent to Syracuse because the Hurricanes don't have an AHL affiliate. Kachetkov and Ranta were the goalies dressed for the game in Colorado. So I confess, I'm not certain what has happened to Freddie Anderson, but I cannot believe that the Carolina Hurricanes all of a sudden are having like goaltending issues, that that's the reason. I don't know what the reason is. That is very surprising, though, because they are a team that tends to dominate puck possession, so the other team has a hard time generating offense. Lucas is right. Those are five playoff teams last year. I think that we, what we can say about the Lightning is most of it has been self-inflicted, or at least a portion of it has been self-inflicted, by, by players other than the goaltender. What I saw from Toronto was a willingness to trade chances. And if their goals against for the years, any indication that's how they've been playing. And their goaltending has not been able to, to limit enough of those chances so that the goals against is kind of where it was last year. I can't speak to the two Western teams, Minnesota and Winnipeg, because I haven't watched any of their games. The yeah. Carolina the Carolina start is a little surprising. I mean, unlike in the Atlantic, I'm not sure that any team in the Metro has really like come charging out of the gates. Boston and Detroit have in the Atlantic. The teams are kind of just bunched together, aren't they? Early on. So it's not like it's hurt Carolina. And they did have a tough start to the season with all the road games. But if this is the final game of their road trip, you know, the Lightning wanna want to send them back to Raleigh, you know, with another L. That's for sure. Yeah. What's interesting is that, I mean, what Lucas basically tweeted is, and and I know this is his viewpoints, but I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel in general. I mean, I think there are a couple of big picture things you can take away from the hockey season. I think one, early on, I think offenses are always ahead of defenses. I just do. Yeah, maybe that's goaltending, and you want to lump that in. I just think typically it is. That my, I, I think the stats play that out in whatever metric you want to look at, Dave. When it comes to defense, tightening things up from beginning to end, I think that's pretty logical. Though I think it takes a little bit for systems to figure some things out, and I think it takes your goaltender to get into rhythm playing maybe every other day and, and getting in, into a routine. I'm not surprised. But, but Carolina shouldn't have that issue. Well, there are exceptions. Their right? system there are, there's is some the same as yeah. it's been, and their team is mostly back. So maybe maybe they're just having a, a rough patch. I'm saying in general. And then I think towards the end of the year, you should be clicking a little bit better in terms of where you are defensively. It should be theoretically harder for you to score goals. And, and it doesn't always apply to the Lightning. You should be playing better hockey heading into the playoffs. And again, mm -hmm. there's there's always outliers. Um, Carolina, you bring up a good point. I, I, I don't know what their problem is. <laughs> you know, who, we'll yeah. find out here. Um, I'm looking at their box score. So Ajo has not played the last at least three games. And they've lost their last two in a row. 
Anderson left the game early that they played against San Jose. So that must have been an injury. And again, folks, I, I'm sorry. Those of you who are following every team in the NHL probably could tell me better <laughs> about, you know, what is happening with these guys. I usually wait until the team comes in. I'm just, I, I noticed in the box store, box score. So Kachetkov came up, but Ranta has been doing the heavy lifting, although in one game they split time because it was a blowout loss to Seattle. So, so how many games has Ajo been out? Did you mention? Uh, I believe you were looking at the box three. Score? Yeah. So I mean, big one, part two, of... three. I think he played. So they beat they beat the Kings six five in a shootout. He played, and then he played against Anaheim, which was a six three loss. He played over twenty one minutes. Okay. It was the next game in which he did not play. Yeah. I gotcha. Look, that's a big loss for them. For a team like we saw them in the preseason, Greg, they did not have a lot of players just on their on their training camp roster. And part of that might have been due to the fact they don't have an AHL affiliate. And they had a lot of PTOs. We were talking about this. That first game in Raleigh in the preseason, they had seven players on PTOs playing in that game. The best of my knowledge, not one of them stayed. I mean, I'm glancing at, at one of their games here. I don't recognize any of the PTOs. So when you when you lose a couple players to injury, now they have three goalies. So if Anderson got hurt, like they have they have a cushion there. But you know, taking out Aho is not nothing. And then there's the Svechnikov situation where he was recovering from knee surgery, right? During the offseason. And he was hoping to start the season. But he is yet to play a game. So he's still on long-term injury. And then Pesci went out. Pesci, did, I mentioned that. Pesci didn't play in the last game. So, th look, they have some little adversity here. You know, tough road trip. They got some injuries. Giving up goals. But having said all that, they're 3-3. Three and three. I mean, we say this a lot on the show. You want to hit 12 points every 10 games. The Lightning at 2-2-2, two, two, and two, it's basically the same as being 3-3 three and because three, they got a point for each of the overtime losses. So if you want to look at it that way, give them one extra win and one extra loss in regulation. Right. I mean, they have six points through six games. They can win three of the next four. They will hit their, their playoff metric. But the same is true for Carolina. You know, like, I think what you had said was they want to keep their head above water. 2-2-2 two, two, and two is different than 1-5. and five. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. So they've had some disappointing performances. The result on Saturday was disappointing because they, they had two points in their grasp in that the time was, was their ally and they had a two-goal lead. But, you know, after six games, having faced three divisional opponents on the road and let's be honest, like some tough teams. They've faced some tough teams. They're hanging in there. That's how I would describe it. They're hanging in They're there. They're hanging in there. I think, And I think that's really fair. I think that's – look, if our audience – and they always want us, and I think specifically me because I don't usually go there with overreacting early on in the season, even really overreacting in the regular season. You know my position on this for the last five years, maybe even more. Get in. Don't care. Don't care how. Get in. I think this team can turn a switch on. And maybe that's maybe I'm generalizing too much. But if you're going to force me to have an opinion, 
on the lightning start and get into the nuts and bolts, no pun intended, about where they are, I, I'm probably going to side more with you and say, you know, head above water, haven't played their best, figuring some things out. You know, they're they're on the outside looking in for a playoff spot, but but they're right there if you're looking at, at the the position right now in the Eastern Conference, which I really don't even do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave, how many times do you and I sit there and you, you kind of point out the standings and I go, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I just don't I, I don't worry about what I can't yeah. control. It's like the the regular season race. I'll use the word a marathon. I mean, it's not a marathon like the baseball regular season is a marathon, but it is a marathon. So if you actually tuned in to watch a marathon. Are you predicting who is going to win the race after the first half mile? Like some runners jump out to a big lead. And look, it's maybe not a great example because the runners, like everybody wants a big lead in hockey. Like every team wants to start five and oh, but the teams that jump out to a big lead sometimes cannot maintain it. Just like the runners that sometimes jump out to a big lead cannot maintain it. There is time to make up. The ground, and there is time for the teams that have gotten off to quick starts to come back to earth. I'm not sure too many people predicted the Bruins would start the year 5-0 and and that the Red Wings would start the year 5-1. and But they have. So credit to them, but now they have to keep it going. Correct. I think. And I as think great as the Red Wings' start has been, the Lightning are only four points behind them, having played the same number of games. That's... Uh, that's why it's been important that they've been able to get some points. Yep. The two overtime losses stink because they lost. They, I think, in in the two overtime games, maybe had possession for probably 20 total seconds. <laughs> it's been ugly to watch. But those points count. Like, they, they went to their point total. And so they are hanging in there. They're actually ahead of... Florida and Buffalo. Like, Florida and Buffalo will need to win their next games to pull even to the Lightning. There's no guarantee they are going to win their next game. So, I mean, everything is everything is kind of relative to, to where you are in, and where you are relative to the teams around you. But that's why I have always looked at, are you on playoff pace? And we'll see how the Lightning are after 10 games. That's what we're going to do. But in the meantime, we're going to be taking questions and comments from our Mm -hmm. loyal fan base that is growing by the thousands, and we love that about them, about where this team is and what's working and what's not. But it's a long season, as we know. And please don't lose sleep over the lightning start to the year because it it hasn't been disastrous. It hasn't. As Dave said, they're not 0-6. They need to get better defensively, but they know that. And if we go back to training camp, once we said, I don't think all these problems have been directly related to them tweaking their system, but the reality is, you know, when you tweak your system, there may be some growing pains there. So this shouldn't be like completely out of left field. I think they could have played better. I don't think all of this is, is like adjusting to system play. (laughs) I don't think it's been exclusively that they've had to own some of their subpar performances that whether it was game two or game 52 should have been better, but they still are kind of the middle of the pack in the middle of the pack in the East. 
And so they have they have an opportunity to to pull themselves out of the middle. So all of that Great. is true. Like like we're early in terms of kind of assessing the team in broad strokes about where where they are going to be come March and April. But in the immediate sense, and this is probably what is getting the fans worked up, is it has not been a pretty defensive start to this season. But I don't know that we should be completely shocked by that. Let's see where they are in a month defensively, and hopefully they can keep munching points while they get there. Partner, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow on a game night. Yeah, talk to you tomorrow. Great job. Lots to talk about at Bolts Radio. Hit us up on Twitter. Austin Wright, thank you. Steve Versnick, thank you both for producing and engineering. I'm Greg Linnell. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.